There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on a Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is an inspirational thought leadership platform that advances the conversation on living and working with passion, inspiration, and purpose. I'm committed to helping create a world where business and capitalism are a force for good, constantly working to address the immense number of problems society faces, serving all stakeholders, certainly its employees among them. The Gallup organization reports that 85% of the global workforce does not want to go to work on Monday or whenever the shift starts. Let's change that together and instead make work an enriching part of life that ignites passion and expresses meaningful contribution through inspired leadership that elevates business. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something that changes the way you think or that you can really put to use. Much of the content we discuss in this program is a reflection of the work I do. So as you listen, if you catch a glimpse of anything I can do to help, go to my website at elisecortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected, and thanks for listening. Now on to this week's program. With us today is David Grayson, Emeritus Professor of Corporate Responsibility at Cranfield School of Management, and from 2007 to 2017, he was the founder, director of the Doherty Center, and professor of corporate responsibility. David is the author of seven books and has contributed to a further ten. His most recent book is All In, The Future of Business Leadership, co-authored with Chris Coulter and Mark Lee. We'll be talking about sustainability and the future of business leadership. He joins us today from central London, where it is 11 p.m. past his bedtime. David, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you very much for having me. You're so welcome. And as I said, you sound so spry, considering you should be well into your Z's, so thank you. Delighted to be part of the conversation. Well, I know uh, a fair amount about you, David, because I, I've been on your website, seen some of your blogs, of course, read your book, um, but, our re- but our listeners don't know you quite the way that I do. So let's start this way. Since I'm an identity and meaning researcher, I want to start with how you introduce yourself on your website, which is davidgrayson.net. It's, it's a great website, by the way. It's so crisp. But you list yourself as a writer, speaker, advisor, educator, chairman, campaigner, human. What a lovely way to summarize yourself. So would you just chime in and just share what it is that you're up to today and presence for yourself for our listeners? Well, first of all, I'm pleased you like the, 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 the website. And one of the things that I'm personally very passionate about is getting better recognition and help for the millions of people who are looking after a family member or a friend. Uh, In my country, we think that there's now almost 9 million Britons who at any one time are caring for a loved one. That might be an elderly parent, as I was looking after uh, my mum before she died for for a number of years. It may be a partner with a long-term condition. It may be a disabled son or daughter or sibling or, or, or whatever. In America, it's well over 40 million people who at any one time are caring. And particularly right now, during the coronavirus pandemic, the pressures on those family and friends who are caring for a loved one are even greater, perhaps because their normal kind of care workers who support them 
can't come because they themselves are are, are sick or self-isolating, etc. So I'm chair of a, a UK charity called Carers UK. It's part of my volunteering. And so one of the things right now that I'm particularly trying to do is to raise the profile through social media, supporting the work of, 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 of our ch- uh, uh, charity staff who are doing a fantastic job trying to keep information and advice getting out to the millions of, of, of UK carers. What a beautiful way to start the, the program, David, and thank you for your sensitivity about just where we are in the world during this pandemic and sheltering in place. Um, in speaking with my my friend and colleague, Paul Skinner, yesterday, he told me that there in the UK that they're only allowing people out one time a day for exercise, and there's just a, there's just a lot of restriction happening. And then when you add in the element of caring for someone else and all of this beyond what you need for yourself, it's another level of, of strain and being a human, as you say. So thank you. You for starting the show with such a such a presence and empathy. So maybe related to that is one of the things that you care about the most, or maybe some of the things you care about the most. But what I want to talk about today, of course, is is your keen eye for sustainability, David. So um, first, it's helpful to understand why is this topic so important to you. What what is it about this that so grabs your attention when that mind of yours could go many other places? So. I think one of the the most important challenges for our world is how will 9 to 10 billion people be able to live at least reasonably well within the constraints of one planet by the middle of our century? Because that's ultimately what we're talking about when we talk about ideas of sustainability and sustainable development. And I'm passionate about the positive contribution that businesses large and small can make as businesses to tackling the issues where those are environmental or social or economic challenges. And I've been working on on these topics for many, many years. And I'm really keen to, to get more people in business to see the potential to do good business and also to contribute to sustainability. David, you probably know, don't know this about me because I don't know that we, we, we spoke about it in our introductory call, but I want to presence a couple things so that you understand that, that I also appreciate very much your, 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 your topic. One, I'm from Oregon here in the United States, which is known to be more, much more of an environmentally friendly state. So I grew up, you know, hugging trees and eating granola and loving every moment of it. And then when I moved to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in 1991, I found myself sitting in and among the Rio Earth Summit. So I found there were there were people from all over the world that came to Rio in 1991 and they were focused on what do we do about the about the environment how do we handle this such that I then was motivated to focus my master's um uh, thesis on the social, economic, and political impacts that might be uh, affecting in, uh, the Amazonian deforestation. So I just want to presence that so you do recognize that I do have a keen interest in this as well. And beyond what it's doing, f- how we've been able to raise our awareness in this pandemic, this has been a part of my focus for years too, although not to the same level and focus as yours. Excellent. Right, right. It's just interesting. So, okay, so your book, and again, what I appreciate about your book, since I'm writing my own, is it's very crisp. It, it, there's a lot of information in there. It's very well organized, and it's easy to read. Um, I think you say somewhere on your website, David, that you have a, a penchant toward um, non-academic and non-difficult-to-get-through you know, prose. Is that right? 
Absolutely. So I'm not an academic by background. I was headhunted relatively late in life. I was 52 when I was approached to go to Cranfield, one of our leading business schools, and was asked to set up a center for corporate responsibility. Most of my career has been very much as a practitioner, as a campaigner for the idea of responsible business and corporate sustainability. And so I very much come at all of these issues from how can we help people in business to understand these issues? How can we equip them better to be able to do something positive about it in ways that will be good for the business as well as for society? So I have no time for really obtuse academic articles, which you have to keep going to the dictionary to work out what the heck do they mean. That, I think, is is the complete opposite of, of what good communication should be about. Indeed. And beyond that, too, you, aside from staying in the academic realm here, you also are quite focused on a timeline. So one of the things I found quite compelling about your book, David, is that it focuses on how we address these sustainability, sustainability problems now through 2030. And that's a data that I learned in your book that aligns with major global environmental goals, including the Paris Agreements and the UN Sustainability Goals. So Help us understand how they're connected to those goals, how this data is connected to those goals. Well, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the, the global goals that were set in 2015, were in fact developed with close collaboration from lots of businesses around the world. And I'm one of those people who believe very strongly that we only will achieve the fulfillment or anywhere close to the fulfillment of these crucial goals around good health, around good education, around clean energy and so on, with the really strong involvement of of business. So many of us think that the 2020s, even before the current coronavirus pandemic and all of the challenges that that is going to create going forward, even before that, the 2020s are going to be a really stretched decade in terms of how business needs to step up to the the, the plate, if you like, in terms of the sustainable development goals. And of course, part of, of, and a crucial part of of, of those those goals is making progress on the the crucial question of, of, of the climate emergency. I couldn't agree more with your with your statement that business is is well positioned to really carry that that torch. And I do make mention of that too in my book as well. And I, I see so much conversation around that here in the United States. There's a lot of conversation, David, through organizations like Conscious Capitalism and Just Impact. They're also very much um, elevating that message. So it's I, I I feel like there's a tremendous momentum that's been raised around all of this business business being unleashed to really help solve societal problems i think that's right and you know if you take a perspective not just for the last two or five years but look back over the last 10 or 20 years then i think the recognition of what is business there for yes of course business has to profitably provide goods and services that people want and need but the ways that it goes about doing that, the, the, the ways that it treats its employees, how it deals with its, its suppliers, how it impacts on, on the environment. The economists have this, this language about 
how you internalize the externalities. In other words, the polluter must pay. We have to get across the idea that that business must be part of the solution to these really big challenges. Otherwise, I think, I don't wish to sound too doom-laden, but otherwise we are going to face some really, really sticky uh, future. Well, in addition to, yes, the, what, I completely agree with what you're saying, that the the polluter must pay. And the great thing about it, and this is me channeling Dr. Raj Sisodia, who is the co-founder of the Conscious Capitalism Global Movement, who was on earlier this month. Um, you know, business is extremely well positioned to be able to do that because of its vast uh, ability to harness its resources in terms of humans as well as economic resources. And so why not? Absolutely, absolutely. And and the exciting thing is that there is a $12 trillion business opportunity if businesses across the world can contribute to the achievement of the sustainable development goals. So this is not just the right thing to do. This can be the profitable thing to do as well. And I think increasingly a, a lot of employees recognize that. And want to work for companies that are taking these issues seriously and are finding profitable ways of doing so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, we're, we're very much in lockstep here on this, David. Now, going back to your book, one of the things that I thought was quite interesting as a researcher myself is that you say the book was inspired by collective wisdom and also through the respondents to the GlobeScan Sustainability Leaders Survey, um, which you, I'm envious of because you've been, it sounds like if I heard this right or read this right, you've been able to have access to this since 1997. Is that right? Absolutely. And in a field which is barely 20 years old, having 20 years worth of longitudinal data is very, very valuable. GlobeScan and Sustainability um, came together back in 1997 to start doing a survey of global experts in corporate sustainability. So people inside businesses, people in, in the media, in civil society, in regulators, in academia and so on. And Ever since 1997, every year, these two organizations have asked a series of, of, of questions to several thousand experts across the world in, in global corporate sustainability, asked them about who they think are the leading companies. And what is fascinating is the way in which the different companies were regarded as being leaders at different points through that 20-year um, uh, time horizon. So back in, in at the end of the 1990s, when the survey began, you had some companies like uh, 3M and actually some of the big oil companies like Shell and BP who were regarded then as being uh, leaders because they were amongst the early companies identifying systematically the material impacts that they had. Over time, of course, that shifted as we got a better understanding of what we really mean by by sustainable business. But we had this incredibly valuable resource of the GlobeScan Sustainability Leaders Survey as the starting point. My two co-authors, Chris and Mark, that you referenced earlier, they run respectively GlobeScan and, and sustainability. So that's the connection. Wonderful. Um, and and what you said there. So, do you, this is an ongoing stream of information or, or a survey yes, response you're getting from them? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Wonderful. So, 
the 2020 survey goes into the field next month. And who answers this? Who, who did you said well, earlier? But- the people who answer this are people working in corporate sustainability in large companies across the world, but also people who are teaching these issues in universities and business schools, people who are working in NGOs, in civil society across the world, as well as some regulators, people in the public sector, and also in the media covering business and and society. So it's a real wisdom of the crowd, but the informed crowd. Mm-hmm. Quite like the company you keep. And on that note, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on the air with David Grayson, who is the Emeritus Professor of Corporate Responsibility at Cranfield School of Management. He's the co-author of All In, The Future of Business Leadership. He joins us today from central London. We've been talking a bit about how he got interested in sustainability. After the break, we're going to d- dive a little bit deeper here and get you more into the concept itself and how you can get involved. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is David Greeson. He's the Emeritus Professor of Corporate Responsibility at Cranfield School of Management. And from 2007 to 2017, he was the founder director of the Dohui Center and Professor of Corporate Responsibility. Responsibility. He's the author of seven books and has contributed to a further 10. His most recent book is All In, The Future of Business Leadership. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, David, before we get further in, um, now that we've had a chance to presence a little bit of conversation about sustainability, I think about this time we should actually talk about what do we mean by corporate sustainability. So, you say in the book, a a company's delivery of long-term value in financial, environmental, social, and ethical terms um, which you say, I think, aligns with the definition of the United Nations Global Compact. But is there a simpler way to describe this term? So essentially, it is about minimizing the negative social and environmental and economic impacts that the business has, and also looking to maximize the positive social and environmental and economic impacts of the business. So this is very much about value creation. It is about profits Um, through the way in which you find solutions to the problems of people and planet. Now that is, I like that better, David. Let's go with that, okay? Okay. (laughs) I just like that. Um, And before we go to the next one, let me just grab a quick question from Darla. She's, Inquiry Minds want to know, she's in the chat room, and she wants to know, David, how did you you find the time to write so many books, and how long does it take to write a book anyway? Oh, gosh. Well, each one was was different. Um, I've had some super co-authors 
on on most of the books, um, in, including particularly uh, Chris and, and and Mark on on All In. And I mean, I think you know, if if you if you see that this is a way of of, of spreading ideas, spreading the word, then it, it is something which is 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 important to to try and do. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's why I'm working on mine too. And it is, I, I hope it gets easier as time goes on, Dave, but that's all I have to say. <laughs> this I, first I one feels... It does. I think yeah. it does. And the crucial things are to to establish, as with any other activity, you know, sort of what's the purpose of what you're doing? So what is the objective that you have with, with this book? Who's the target audience? And critically, what do you want them to think and feel and above all, do as a result of reading the book. If you can sort all that out, then you obviously there's the hard slog doing all the research, putting everything together, and then writing it and rewriting it. And did I mention rewriting it? On, <laughs> That's on, what on, I'm doing. On the all in, we the the writing phase actually scarily only took six weeks. But that was incredibly intense, and every chapter went through at least seven redrafts during that, that, that time. But that was possible because we'd done so much discussion and research amongst ourselves and with a whole variety of, of, of company people beforehand. Well, that certainly helps me. I hope it does you too, Darla. So thank you for, for asking the question. Okay, so let's go back. One of the things that you say in your book that's also quite compelling, this is only, as you say, a 20-year industry. So you describe three errors in the book relative to sustainability. Will you describe them for us? Yes, indeed. So we think the first few years, it was really about harm reduction, about companies looking to see how can we reduce our negative social and environmental and economic impacts. And then around 2004, 2005, you started to have some companies looking much more strategically. How do we integrate with our core business strategy, not just in terms of risk mitigation and reduction, but also looking for new business opportunities. So how we start to see more of an alignment with the the, the the business strategy. And most recently, we think that companies are now starting to think, at least the leading ones, much more fundamentally about purpose. And we see this as therefore the purpose-driven era. Okay. Um, now, then there's the regenerative era, which is what, what we're coming into now, yes? So we think that potentially in, in the next decade or so that if what we are saying is 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 right about the ways in which businesses will have to adapt to the external forces that are out there so the challenges of of the systemic risks to the financial system and to business from climate change and biodiversity loss the systemic risks to business and the financial system from hyper global inequalities then we do believe that we may well see, and, and this is our kind of working shorthand, shorthand at the moment. Um, I was on a call with my two co-authors only yesterday where we were exploring what we were going to do next in terms of, of starting to, to flesh out more of our understanding of what the next era might look like. But to be very clear, we're only 
at the foothills in terms of, of, of a relatively small number of companies, yet really rethinking and defining what is our core purpose. Mm. When you talk about regenerative, really quick, I don't want to take too much time on this because we have so much more to cover, but what I think about, David, is what seems to be happening right now in the smack dab middle of this um, pandemic is since we aren't go- we're not doing business the way that we normally do the factories aren't necessarily working the way that they were in the past I'm hearing reports about being able to see fish in the Venice canals that the pollution level in Los Angeles in China is such that the air is actually very vastly different in how it how it looks behaves and is breathed do you know anything about this? <laughs> I've been seeing um, those those reports too, Elise. But it seems to me the challenge is how do we get those kind of positive things without all of the the negativity associated with the global shutdown? Right. So, so the regenerative approach has to be so much more creative than this absolute kind of lockdown that that so much of the world is 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 currently experiencing but what it does show us is when we recognize a, a really intense extreme crisis then humankind can move at incredible speed and scale so i guess the the question that many of us are already thinking about in the context of building back better after the the pandemic what are the things that we we will need to be doing differently in order to achieve yes that better air quality that better quality of water and so on but without the kind of lockdown that we've had to have for this pandemic right absolutely and 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 to that end, maybe this is will help us learn more here because I know Kyle's on in the chat room. He wants to hear more about how we can find uh, the right solutions, and I think we can address that as we go on with some other planned content. But I want to know personally more about the circular economy and the closed look to business. I don't I don't know. I've heard those terms, but I don't really know what they mean. Okay, so many people describe the kind of the current economic model as being a linear model. In other words, you take, you take out of the ground, you make, you manufacture things. So take, make, and then you use, and then you simply throw away. And that's the kind of the linear economy that we have been in, in many parts of the world for uh, the last few decades. The circular economy, by, by contrast, is where there is much more reutilization of, 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 of products, much more reusing re, re of, of, of parts in, 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 in manufactured goods and, and, and so on. So much less waste. Um, so how, do you, how does, say, a major retailer reduce its food waste? How does a manufacturer reduce its waste to landfill? Those are the kind of the practical elements of, 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 of circular economy. Of course, it's, it's much more creative. It's much more exciting than that because it's about how you redesign um, products from scratch, how you work with your supply chain to to come up with very, very different ways of, of, of making things. So if we take a, a company that's not too far away from, from, from where you are in, 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 um, in, in, in Texas, um, you have 
um, a company which is a great American success story called Interface, the, the floor coverings business, started by the late, great uh, Ray Anderson back in, in the 1970s in, in, in the, the state of Georgia. He built a billion-dollar business and then 20 years into the business realized that, in fact, the way he was doing business was simply not sustainable. Hmm. And literally almost overnight, having read a, 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 a book and realizing there was a different way of business, he committed Interface to a different business uh, strategy, a different business model that would be much more regenerative and thinking much more about, about how to, uh, to, 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 to be much more sustainable. So there are interesting examples already there, including in in, in, in in the US, which show how the circular economy can work in practice. Mm, that is so exciting to me to hear that, David. That's so exciting. And that might get us to our next thing, which maybe can help Kyle with his question. I wanted you to share briefly, I mean, your book is, is treated the treated this very, very, very distinctly. But I want to talk about the five attributes that you say underpin the current best practices in leading companies and represent the essential qualities for corporate sustainability and leadership now through 2030. And you list them as purpose plan, culture, collaboration, and advocacy. Will you share a little bit about each one of those for us, presence them for us? Yes, indeed. So in addition to having the the 20 years worth of the GlobeScan Sustainability Leaders Survey as the, the basic foundation for All In, we went to interview people who were running the company's that were regarded as leaders in sustainability at the time that they were regarded as the leaders. So we didn't just interview all current CEOs or all current chief finance officers or company chairman or chief sustainability officers today, but people who were running those businesses when they were regarded as leaders. So we had the privilege of talking to some 50 business leaders in in different parts of the world and we drew on also their insights, their expertise, not just what they had done, but what they thought was now needed as well. And from all of all of that, from the experience that my co-authors and, and, and I've had with many different companies a, a, around the world, we pulled together what we think are these five critical attributes. So you will be pleased to know, Elise, that it starts with purpose. I am. This is the purpose of of, of 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 the business. One of the companies that we we looked at in 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 some detail, Unilever, the the, mm-hmm. the FSG, fast moving consumer goods company. And what's particularly interesting about Unilever is the way that they took their original purpose from the 1880s, which was to make cleanliness commonplace. And they brought that up to date into the 21st century and said their purpose now is to make sustainable living commonplace. Mm. So brilliantly echoing back to their very strong heritage and, and, and their founding purpose. So we think that the, the foundation attribute for going all in is having a purpose which is authentic so people inside and outside the business have to be able to see that what they experience of that business corresponds to the purpose as defined. So it has to be authentic. It needs to be inspiring because otherwise, why on earth do you have it? 
and it has to be practical, actionable. So it needs to help companies and particularly company boards and management teams to take the really tough decisions. And I think what, 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 what is interesting now is the way in which you have, say, the, the companies which are going for B Corp status, the B Lab movement, where those companies are looking very particularly at having a a purpose which addresses the the interests and the needs of, of different stakeholders. So that's the foundation attribute around purpose. The second thing, of course, it's no good at having a, 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 a great purpose if that doesn't then translate into what the company actually does. So is there a really comprehensive sustainability plan or strategy that covers not just the core business itself, but also extends into its supply chain. And we think in the future, increasingly, we'll also extend the other parts of the value chain in terms of engaging customers uh, as, as, as well. So if you want some interesting examples of, of, of really comprehensive plans around sustainability in in, in my country, the, the retailer Marks & Spencer with their plan A for sustainability because there is no plan B when it comes to sustainability um, or companies in, uh, in, in in the States like like uh, Walmart with, with the way in which they've set some really ambitious targets around um, their project um, Gigaton around um, uh, carbon um, strategy. Those are practical examples of, 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 of these kind of comprehensive plans. And increasingly, the effective plans or strategies are those which correspond to the overall corporate strategy. So it's not a matter of having the sustainability plan or strategy on the one hand, but in fact, the core business strategy being something very different. Again, to take the the Unilever uh, example, it's taken them 10 years from when they first launched the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan back in 2010, that this year they now are saying that they are bringing them the course strategy of Unilever and that sustainable living plan into a single overall strategy. Mm, that's so inspiring. That's David, if I, can, if I can stop you for just a second, I want to treat the other three, but we do need to grab our last break. So hold that yes, thought for just a moment if we can. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on here with David Grayson, who is the Emeritus Professor of Corporate Responsibility at Cranfield School of Management. He's the co-author of All In, The Future of Business Leadership. He joins us today from central London. After the break, we'll talk more about those three other attributes that he started speaking about. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to working on purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is David Grayson, the Emeritus Professor of Corporate Responsibility at Cranfield School of Management. Also, from 2007 to 2017, he was the co-founder director of the Dohe Center of profess- a Professor of Corporate Responsibility. David is the author of seven books and has contributed to another ten. His most recent book is All In, The Future of Business Leadership. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, David, you helped us understand purpose and plan of the five attributes that underpin current best practices in leading companies. Talk to us next about uh, culture, would you please? Well, before I do that, I'm just looking in, in, in the break, Elise, at some of the questions coming in now. I'm just picking up both the questions that, that come from Kyle and and from Todd. Todd, yes. Because uh, I think th- these are very relevant to understanding how, how a sustainability plan or strategy really works in practice. Because if you are a, a mining company, then your impacts are going to look very different to the impacts of a big bank or to a big high-tech company. So the crucial thing is is to do the really tough work to identify what are the most material, social, environmental, and economic impacts that our business has. And similarly, the impacts may look very, very different if you are doing business in a low-income company country in, say, Africa or uh, Asia versus doing business primarily in a high-income country like Northern Europe or uh, North North America. So that's a very important part of getting an effective plan or, or, or strategy for sustainability. But going on to, to culture, I realized, in fact, that culture is not something that in, in my kind of world of, of corporate sustainability and responsible business – I'd given enough attention to in, in the past. And that was clearly a real mistake on, on, on my part. And I think culture, the way we do business around here, is so critically important, again, for really successfully embedding sustainability. And we think, and the way we describe it in, in All In, is that there are four really important dimensions of having a, a, a sustainable culture. It starts, as companies like Nike have have, have shown, with the idea that innovation is sustainability. Sustainability equals innovation. It's a fundamental stage gate for all of the innovation of the organization. A second critical dimension of a sustainable culture is that it is genuinely engaging and empowering. So not only do employees have the training and the sense of permission to take the initiative to come forward with their own ideas and suggestions and projects around sustainability, but they know that they, they will be encouraged to do that. So it's it's a combination of the top-down leadership from board and senior management team in terms of setting a strategic direction linked back to the business purpose. But it is also a company, a culture where there is genuine bottom-up engagement and and enthusiasm um, to to bring forward ideas. Other aspects of, of, of a successful sustainability culture are that there is a very strong sense of, 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 of ethics and responsibility. People are inculcated, so it becomes very natural to understand how the organization 
expects and wants them to behave. So there's a clarity about what are the the kind of the North Star, the values of of, of the organisation that's reinforced time and and, and time again. And the, and the other aspect we think of a of a sustainability culture is that it is open and accountable and transparent, not just in terms of sharing information about where its sources from, where its its suppliers' factories are, and what are the conditions that they expect in those factories and so on. But also it's open in the sense of being humble enough to understand that even a giant multinational global business doesn't have all of the answers around sustainable development and it needs to work in collaboration and partnership with lots of others, both inside and outside the company. So those are the, the, the kind of what we think are the crucial dimensions of a sustainable culture. And then what really surprised us, and it wasn't part of the interview schedules when we were interviewing all of these CEOs and company chairmen and chief finance officers and chief sustainability officers, but I didn't think we did any interview for All In where the people we interviewed didn't talk about the importance of being able to work in collaboration with other businesses, sometimes with fierce competitors, with other parts of society, with NGOs, with social enterprises, sometimes with academia and so on, to work very often through industry associations to come up with solutions around sustainability. So the importance of collaboration, of working in in, in, in partnership. I know many of us grew up and did... MBAs and so on with this idea of Porter's competitive advantage and so on. But I think in the 21st century, and you had Paul Skinner, another Brit on on, on your program uh, a a while ago, talking about his book, Collaborative Advantage. Indeed, I did. That's how I found you, in fact. Thank you, Paul. Exactly. Alongside uh, competitive advantage, there is the importance of this collaborative advantage and having a both a skill set and a mindset that looks for where we could work together whether that's something like the sustainable apparel coalition for instance between a lot of the 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 the, the, the big um companies working in the the the, the fashion industry and the footwear industry and, and 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 so on or whether it's the sustainable shipping initiative or whether it's the sustainable tire initiative etc 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 um one of my earlier books was actually on the evolution of of uh, corporate responsibility coalitions around the world with a good friend jane nelson who's at the kennedy school of government in in harvard and what we said in that book was that we thought the future was going to be much more around issue-specific coalitions and sector-specific coalitions. And my goodness, in the last decade, hasn't that happened in, in, in spades? And the last thing that we identified, and it's probably the newest of the these attributes, is what we called advocacy, speaking out and speaking up for sustainable development and social justice. And we think this is different to old-fashioned business lobbying, which might be quite short-term, quite immediately self-interested. We think this advocacy is taking a longer-term perspective. So it's a kind of focus on capitalism for the long term, if you like. And it is, in fact, recognizing what are the kind of changes in public policy, in public behaviors, which are needed in order 
to get more sustainable development. Um, whereas in the past, a company could be a leader if it was making progress on one or maybe two of those attributes. What is now required is for a company to work on all five of those attributes because they reinforce each other. And you can't really make much progress on one without having those other attributes in play as well. Mm-hmm. Very, very nicely shared, David. Thank you. That essentially, listeners, what he's done it for your 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 delight is he's gone through the bulk of that book by sharing what he just shared. So a real treat, David. Thank you for treating it the way that you did. Um, so we're getting very close to running out of time. I want to hit one more question from you because I know it's important to you, um, and that is, you. I, I know you're very much interested in where the link between purpose and ethics are, and I saw that you posted an article on your blog about doing business ethically in the coronavirus times. Why, why this, why this particular crossover being so important to you? Well, uh, I, I did, um, and and, it, and and you can you can read the blog uh, on davidgrayson.net, but you can also find it on the website of the Institute of Business Ethics, which is an organisation that's been going now for nearly uh, forty years and champions the idea of doing business ethically. And another of my volunteering activities is that I'm the the volunteer chair of the board of, of, of that organization as, as well. And we're trying to get businesses to understand and to implement um, good ethics as a core of their, of, of, of their organizational culture. So I think that culture and, 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 and purpose and ethical culture and purpose aren't two parallel tracks. They're absolutely interrelated and the one helps to reinforce the other. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that, David. And and to that end, I, I want to also uh, back to uh, alignment. As you know, I have an interest in helping individuals align with the organizational purpose. And I think you have a fascination interest in that as well. What is your take on that? So I think the really successful organizations, uh, and funny enough, I was doing my homework as well, at least because I was looking at some of, 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 of your recent talks and things. And I so agree with you about the importance of really being able to inspire people to feel that they want to go to work rather than, oh, my goodness, it's, 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 it's the start of another working week, uh, et cetera. So we are completely uh, uh, in, in agreement on the importance of that. And I think great leadership helps people to see how what they are contributing can make a positive difference. And if you go back to some of the the, the, the really interesting ways in which people understand what motivates us, people like Daniel Pink with his book Drive, where he talks about the importance of mastery and autonomy, but crucially also feeling it's for a purpose. That yes. it and having that kind of, of link between what is this company trying to do? and why this matters to the individual. That's why I'm so excited about the power of social intrapreneurs, people inside large organizations who are creating value for the business, but also having a positive impact on on society, taking the initiative, coming up with new products and services, new business models, job crafting, 
to do that. Mm-hmm. I think that is 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 part, particularly of, of of what many younger people in business want. But I think it's also something that those of us who've got a few more years on the clock also think matters as as well. Yeah, well, and I stand for helping to create a world where we get to do that. So I'm so thrilled we're aligned. And here we are toward the end, David, already. Want to give you the last word. Say in about 30 seconds, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? I think the, 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 the really important thing is to understand what is, 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 is your own purpose. And so... I'm a great fan of the Japanese model of Ikigai. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you go about uh, identifying what is your personal purpose or purposes? And then how can you find a way of aligning that purpose with the purpose of your em- employer? I think that is, is, is really my kind of homework to, to all the listeners, if I, if I may be so bold as to, as, as, as to suggest uh, what might be a follow-up from, from this program. Fantastic, David. In fact, we did cover Ikigai a few few uh, months ago with uh, Justin Barnes from the UK, so uh, like-minded still. So, David, thank you very much for joining us with that wicked smart mind of yours and your heart committed to making the world sustainable. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. All the best. If you want to learn more about David Grayson, the work he does on sustainability and ethics, or his seven books, visit his website. It's davidgrayson.net. That's david, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N.net. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We were on the air with J.P. LeCour of Brand Foundations and the New York City Chair of Conscious Capitalism. We were talking about the silver lining we both see in the COVID-19 pandemic. Next week, we'll be on the air with Linda Crompton, who's president and CEO of Leadership Women. We'll be talking about what she and her organization are doing in response to the COVID pandemic to change how they offer programs to their members and stay relevant and useful during this change and how they do their business. See you there. Remember that work is at least one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.